0: As you see on the sheet here on our screen, these are the topics of those few verses. You know, there seems nearly nowhere to stop speaking on these things. And we're talking about something that happened within churches nearly 2,000 years ago, and yet I see so many parallels within the day we live right now. Especially with the overview of this, of being bound by things within religious thinking that separate us from the liberty we have in Christ. And that's really really my thinking. Here's the thing. They were dealing with a specific topic in that day, for a number of a uh, number of reasons, there was confusion. The idea of circumcision to be, if you were a male, to become a Christian person—that was gonna, the, the Judaizers were saying this was according to God. No, it was only according to them. The apostles did not preach this, and all of these things that come to, but it comes down to whenever we see this. Additions and subtractions to the the pure gospel we find this this problem happening mm-hmm. and as David said in his class on Acts fifteen, which discusses or, or actually determines the outcome of this problem as far as the way of a decision, if we try to take on more than one problem at a time we 're usually going to be really stymied because mm-hmm. i 've been to a number of church uh, meetings of the minds that try to deal with two or three things, you, you get nothing done on the two or three things. Yeah. But you sure have a lot of angry faces at the end of the day, so, <laughs> that's free. yeah, that's, that's free. It's not the good memories, but some of the bad. By the way, we have a new prayer list, and I hope everyone got it. It's up to date this morning. Um let's look at Galatians chapter two. I want to reread verses one and two and where we concluded last week, and the apostle writing to the churches in Galatia, the area and Asia Minor. Then after the space of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus also with me. And I went up through Revelation, and I laid before them the gospel which I preached amongst the Gentiles, but privately before them who were of repute, lest By any means, I should be running or had run in vain. Couldn't be a more honest (laughs) dissertation than that, could it? As to the actions. Well, you see, there was a problem amongst the Gentile churches. And the, the agitation and the problem had come from Jerusalem and from a sect and from groups. Or from a group and and the thinking that to become a Christian you first needed to become a Jew or a proselyte and be obedient to the law. And then you had the right, let's say, to become a Christian. Well, this may sound strange to us, but believe me, in the world they lived in, especially amongst the Jewish Christians, this was a real debate. So what did Paul do? He went up to Jerusalem through revelation. You know what that tells me? This matter was important. Remember, he had just had quite a little session in Antioch where he and Barnabas and Titus and many others were, where he was trying to refute these these uh, uh, Judaizers. And finally, it was decided, let's go to Jerusalem and settle the matter. And through revelation, Paul went. Now, where did the revelation come from? It came from Christ himself. To Paul, this was important to Christ, that this be settled. You following me? I I think it's true. He took Barnabas and Silas and others with him. He presented his preaching to the Gentiles. He probably gave them how he preached to them. He probably uh, did a mini-sermon for them, if you want to look at it that way. Talking and speaking on all the points that he spoke on to the Gentiles, that they could accept Christ, that they could become obedient to the gospel, that they could become a member of the family of God. He, he brought that message to the apostles and the elders in the Jerusalem church. They agreed with what he said, as we find later on in this chapter, down around verse 9 and 10. They gave him the right hand of fellowship. Go to the Gentiles with this message. And so, of course, he had been and he did. The idea for Paul was to make sure he was preaching according to the will of Christ. Well, he was. Now, let's read verse 3 because this is the issue. But not even Titus, who was with me. Titus was a Christian and an evangelist. Being a Greek, he was a Greek, not a a Jewish man, was compelled to to be circumcised was not uh, was not compelled yeah okay why wasn't he compelled because the message the gospel message did not include the, the issue of having to become a Jew, a proselyte and a Jew to become a Christian. You see, this was settled with Peter in, in uh, Caesarea bef- when he went to the house of Cornelius. God sent him there. God sent Cornelius, he told Cornelius, send men after Peter, told him right where he was. Peter had the vision. Peter had his mind changed. What God said is clean, don't call unclean. Read it, chapter 10 of Acts and 11, if you want to read the other, all of it. Peter had to be convinced. He went to Cornelius' house and he knew why he was there. This matter was settled. Did Peter make all those that accepted Christ in the beginning were baptized into Christ, did he cause them to become Jews first? No. You, you might think that why does this, why did this fact, why did this, this whole problem arise? Well, you know, as people, we're pretty stubborn. We're set in our ways and we get a handle on something and we're not going to let go. I'm the same way. Um, and I, I've had people illustrate it by carrying something so far. You know, the suitcase is all grown, worn off, but nothing but the handle left, but you're still going to hang on to it. You see, and, and that's that's an illustration, of course. Um, you know, there's some good things about being loyal to what you what, what, how people always express it, what I was always taught. <laughs> how many times have you heard that? What I was always taught. Well, it's good to be taught something, especially by good people. But friends, I might be wrong, and the person teaching me might, might be wrong, but I'll tell you one thing, the Word of God is never wrong so let's settle it here. That's what the apostles were doing and the elders and the church in Jerusalem were settling that matter and that's what Paul is saying to the Galatians here. You see, the Galatians are in real jeopardy of going back to the law because they thought it was necessary according to the teaching of the Judaizers. Oh, I'm sure they had powerful teaching. But the point is, they were in opposition to the apostolic message of Christ. And that's a place nobody wants to live. It's a death hole. There's no future for you there, or anyone. The evidence seemed clear. The law of Moses was not binding on the Gentile Christians, for it was not preached by the apostles at any time. It might have been preached by the Judaizers or other people, but not by the apostles. You see, this whole idea of the apostolic doctrine, the apostles' doctrine and teaching in the New Testament from the mind of Christ himself was an issue then, as it was 500 years ago. It is right now today, because right now today, in churches all over, people are still preaching the doctrine of men and calling it from the Bible. If you need some evidence of that, you could go and listen a little bit, or turn on your TV. <laughs> you better yet. This is how you deal with problems and questions that arise in congregations, just like they were doing. You go to the Word of God for us, uh, that is the Bible, all sixty-six books, everything there is necessary, uh, not a cursory knowledge, but a much more uh, uh, much more informed knowledge than that. the apostles' doctrine, as we call it, as they called it. you'll never be let down or misled by that. Now, sometimes we'll run across phrases or words that we think means one thing that actually means something else in the in the text, and we can always determine that by looking what looking what the word really means and what it's defined at. It. So, this is the issue. I want to move on to the Judaizer problem um, and the fact that. Even Christ was concerned. Christ was concerned with this issue. He's concerned with any issue such as this, um, especially for the early church. Remember, this is the infant church. How do you treat an infant? How do you treat a young person? You give them bad information. You know what? They're going to go with that. They're going to go with it. Maybe forever is right. You teach a falsehood to a young person. You've opened a can of worms. Now, here, you know, sometimes if we don't know the right answer, I guess maybe some of the best answers ever given were, I don't know about certain subjects. Until we do know, all right? So Galatians 2, verses 3 through 10. I'd like to read it for you, and then, then we'll discuss it um, best I can in the time remaining. Verse 3, as I just read, not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of the false brethren, privately brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty... Which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. You hear that? Oh, that's 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 what was happening. To whom we gave place in in the way of subjection, no, not for one hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. With who? with the church in Galatia the Galatian area and everywhere else. They didn't give in so that the truth would remain defended and, and, uh, and loved, if you will. But from those who were reputed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. God accepteth not man's person. That I say, who were of repute, imparted nothing to me. In other words, they didn't correct anything that he had been saying and preaching and delivering to them, even though they were fellow workers in the gospel. He didn't learn the gospel from them, he learned it from Christ by revelation. Verse 7, But counterwise, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel of the uncircumcision, or Gentiles, even as Peter with the gospel of the circumcision, for he that wrought for Peter unto the apostleship of the circumcision wrought for me also unto the Gentiles. And when they perceived the grace that was given unto me. James and Cephas and John, they who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the Gentiles and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, which very thing I was also zealous to do. It was a real threat to the pure gospel. This Judaizing issue or any issue similar to it. It was a real threat, a real threat. Anything that is taken away or added to the purity of God's word is a threat to the whole of it. I think we can understand that. You know it just just put it down in in basic terms if you're writing a medical book and you add or take away things in there that are necessary for the doctor to learn his craft it's going to be a real threat to his craft and it's also going to be a real threat to those that he treats a real threat to the Gentile converts is what this uh, this uh, judaizer issue really was they were new in christ they were babes in christ even if they were a middle-aged man when they had been told one thing brought into the family of god and encouraged and then to have someone come and tell them that what they had done wasn't legitimate because they didn't do this 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 or this no Instead of being supported or comforted or nurtured, they were attacked. And remember, in Jerusalem, during that council, during the whole discussion of the matter, there was no compelling evidence to put the Gentiles under the law. Or certainly not under circumcision. Now, What is circumcision? It began, God had a purpose for it. He had a purpose for it. He also had a purpose for ending it. And people need to understand this. Circumcision is first talked about and instructed in Genesis 17.10. It's a token of a covenant between God and Abraham and his descendants. You see, it's, it's a token of, of a covenant. Uh, Alex has got it on the screen. This is my covenant. Whose covenant? God's, right? Thou, um, yeah. this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every male among you shall be circumcised. That's what it is. Here's the thing about covenants, though. They have a beginning and they have an end. In this case, the end of this covenant is talked about in the New Testament all all the time, especially in Hebrews and, and, uh, well, nearly all the epistles. The end of that covenant to be replaced by what? Well, I have a passage here a little later on, the New Covenant. Also, in Deuteronomy 36, not 36, but chapter 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. And Jehovah thy God will circumcise thy heart and the heart of thy seed to love Jehovah thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. Now, you know, this is actually pointing towards the issue of faith. But in fact, I think the Jews uh, were meant to think, meant to understand that their circumcision in the flesh was, was a shadow of what real relationship with God really was all about in your heart and in your mind. To love Jehovah with all thy heart and soul, it says in that scripture. For your life's sake, it goes on to say. For your sake. (coughs) Why wasn't it understood that the, the covenant was coming to an end? It was being rolled up like a scroll to be replaced by a better one. It was it was hard for the Jews to accept this. And you know, I'm not going to criticize that because I would be just as staunch myself, I know I would, because of my personality, um, I'd be standing on it. Hey, I still see it. And... Um, So let us move on to the next point. The, the next, These next points are just uh, the verses that we've already read. False brethren, unawares. False brethren, unawares. You think that's possible? Well, it certainly is. Uh, I know there's false brethren and being unaware of them, unfortunately, is something that Probably has happened to most people. Here's the thing, and that's what Paul is saying here in verse 4, that because of the false brethren, you see, the whole reason is because that happened. Many, many other things did. Within, He's talking about what happened in Antioch at the church where he was. And that's in Acts chapter 14, the last part of the chapter. They were brought in or sent in. I don't know. Uh, It seems that maybe that was the case. They infiltrated the brethren to sow the seeds of false doctrine from the sect of Judaizers that we know came from the area of Jerusalem. And even within the Pharisaic party according to scripture. That also is in Acts, I believe. Who were teaching that Gentiles needed to be obedient to the law of Moses, which of course included the circumcision of the male converts. But when they were discovered, that is those false brethren, when they were discovered or revealed themselves to the Apostle Paul and others, they were challenged. They were challenged. And here's what's it saying, in verse 5 again. To whom we, the we there is the Apostle Paul and the church, but mainly the Apostle Paul as an apostle. To whom we gave place in the way of subjection, no, not for one hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. All right? May we today be found just as unmoving when falsehood comes at us from it seems like every direction and every avenue. And the idea here is you can't give an inch when when it is opposing the teaching of the apostles and the scripture itself. If you give an inch, have you ever heard the old expression, if you give an inch, They'll, they'll take a mile. Well, they'll take a mile, and they'll drag you the whole way. And I had another man tell me, speaking about that, about moving something, uh, something very heavy, and, and they would put it like an indicator on it and see if they could move it. And, and it would move a, a thousandth <laughs> or two. He said, if it'll move a thousandth or two, it'll move a hundred. You know, that's the concept. You can't give in. You can't give in. Now, make sure what it is you're not giving in on is actually the truth of God's word, though, okay? There's a qualifier here.
1: <laughs> and we all
0: need to take note of that. So this admission is, is true then. Thank goodness it was true then, and it's true now for us. But the third thing is liberty in Christ. The verses uh, uh, that we find with that in there. Bondage under the law. The Jewish law and regulations through Moses. What's it say again in verse 4? See, We just keep coming back to these. And that because of the false brethren privately brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Well, was that, was that uh, were they going to tie them up with ropes or chains? No. Or was it a, some other kind of bondage here? What are we talking about? We're talking about the, 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 the debate between the law of Moses and the gospel of Christ. The Lord knew that this situation would come up, and he prepared the men he left here to deal with it. That's why he opened their minds that they could understand the scriptures, that is, all of the Old Testament, (laughs) along with the things they were given through Revelation. They spied out the liberty in Christ of the church in Antioch, because that's Paul's uh, experience. Stealthily, cleverly, but not for the purpose that they might have said that was in their intent. I think their purpose was not to edify the assembly and encourage the brethren. No, I think the reason was to accuse and to humble and to disqualify the Gentile Christians for the gift from God through his son on the cross. That's what they were doing. They were disqualifying them. And Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin and destroy the works and power of Satan that had harmed men from the beginning. Chapter 8 in Hebrews talks all about the... Well, chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. I think we need to read that. Chapter 8, verse 6 and 7 in Hebrews. But now hath he obtained a ministry the more excellent by so much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which hath been enacted upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then would no place have been sought for a second. The first covenant, it didn't bring salvation, friends. They had to wait for the second. They were waiting for the blood of Christ to redeem them to live with God in heaven. That's that's the truth of the message. That's what the apostles preached. Not everyone was willing to accept it. That's always going to be the case. But we can give we give no we, we can't let it go forward. We can't go, let it go anywhere in our minds and hearts. What replaced the old covenant is a better covenant. It's better. Its promises are better. And certainly um, everything about it is better. Today our liberty in Christ that we have according to the word of God. For God's word is all that is useful and sustaining in my estimation in the life of a Christian, is also under attack. Right now, 10 years ago, I remember as a boy, I heard a lot about the church being under attack, the truth of scripture being under attack by by men. When I was a boy, it was under attack. Well, yes. And, you know, in my little world, I kind of, I kind of, really saw the struggle you know but it's so much more than that and why is this struggle going forth well it's been going on for so long in in my estimation it's been going on for so long we know it was going on then we know it was going on during the life of the apostles But it's been going on so long that those battle sounds, you know what frightens people about war? Hearing the sound. As it starts coming where you're at. I think the problem today is we're not hearing the noise anymore. We're not hearing it. But the enemies of liberty in Christ that are are after the freedom of the Christians are still working. But it's virtually unheard. You don't hear people talking about it. Being unaware, people of the family of God are put under bondage every day. By what? Creeds. Anytime you have a creed that tells you what God wants you to do and you live by it and you swear by it and... And that's that's not right. That's not from Scripture. And, and if you don't believe it, compare the creed to the Scripture. Try to try to justify the creed by Scripture. Oh, that's an interesting job. You'll be writing a lot of pages on that one. Creeds, systemized type religious programs. The worst one, of course, being Calvinism in all of its points. List of rules. And I think many times I came very close to actually visualizing those list of rules myself. Friends, there's no list of rules. If somebody offers you a list of rules to sign up to show you're a good Christian, don't sign it. Don't do that. You're not responsible in, in that way to do such things. How do you know the list of rules is right? You know, they might have misspelled a few words, depending on who wrote the list. I, it's, a, it's a sad situation. Don't give in to it. Don't give in to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 we don't have to give in to lists, creeds, systemized religion. Why? Because we have the word of God. Let's spend our time there. Now, the Apostle Paul was talking about the church here in Corinth. They were, you know, I was baptized by this person and that person and that person. And somehow that was supposed to be gratifying. But. Here's what he's trying to tell him. Now these things, brethren, I have in figure transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that in us you might learn not to go beyond the things which are written, that no one of you be puffed up uh, for the one against the other. For who maketh thee to differ? And what hast thou that thou didst, did not receive? But if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou had not received it? In other words, people try to say that this high form of religion comes from their, their wonderful thinking process. So they write down a creed, a list, or some other systemized form. It's not necessary, it's harmful, and it does nothing but, but, um, but rob people of their liberty they could have in Christ. Do not let yourself or your families become refugees from the Lord's church due to these things, due to the preferences, you know, preferences within a church, like, well, you know, the color of the walls is a preference, right? Are we all agreed on it? Who cares? I would say, you know, let somebody who seems to have the artistic flair or whatever... Let them choose the colors out. Don't ask me about it. And don't make me a refugee from the church because I don't like it. When the preferences of men and women in the assembly become binding on others, and they might start very, very subtle, but after a while, I can testify to this myself. Oh, I can testify to it. After a while, it becomes binding on you, and if you do not comply, agree, walk in step, you, well, you're just a false brother. There in my case, it was your preaching another gospel. And that's, that's unfortunate. So the freedom that we have in Christ is being attacked, and we must not give in to these things. No one can steal your liberty in Christ if you know and follow what is written. We just read the scripture. Do you know what is written? If you know what is written, don't let anybody talk you out of it. One last thing. David is going to put together, I think, a paper on the word grace, a real definition of it. I'm looking forward to it because, you know, this concept of grace Grace, God's grace or grace is attributed, you know, a life of its own, that sort of thing. I think that's a real problem within the church. Uh, We know there's grace, the grace of God. We know of it. Simply, the grace of God is God's God's thinking uh, to restore men back to him. The apostles had agreement and unity in their message to the Jews and Gentiles because of the true understanding of God's grace and the Lord's grace, their will. They understood it. And they weren't using it as a a magic potion or a wand or something that would take you away from where you're going and just turn you around without your participation. Remember, it's your ability and it's your um, uh, complying to what you know is what causes things to happen. It doesn't happen by itself. And it's wrong thinking of men to consider grace uh, in, in this way. It's kept countless millions under bondage. That's real bondage. When you're a Calvinist in this world, you are under bondage. And let me tell you, let me give you one little example. Say you're a person that believes in predestination. That God selects who's going to be saved and who isn't. But he's got the list. And you live your whole life thinking, I'm on that list. I'm on that list. Here's why. I I do this. I love God. I go to church. How about when you're on your deathbed? Are you going to have a little thought all of a sudden? I wonder if I'm on that list. I wonder if I'm really on that list. I don't know if I'm really on that list. That means I might be on the other list. Now, you see, you have just destroyed everything that God is by saying or thinking such a thing. Why? Because you've been misled your whole life. There's no list. We're created in the likeness and image of God. We make our own minds up of what list we want to be on. Those lists, that thinking is is for the clergy of the religious worlds to hold their people under their thumb. That's all it is. It's not for you. I don't think they believe it. And if they do, I hope on their deathbed, that's just what they're thinking. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. That's grace. And I'm, there's much more to say about grace, and we're going to be saying more about grace in the weeks and time to come. Because this is a real issue, I feel, is harming the, the faithful and harming people that are looking towards Christ. And David's going to do a paper on it, and we're going to be talking about it. This is something simple that we can help people with on the street, with this idea of grace. You know? The expression, I'm saved by grace. Well, that might be in an English translation of the Bible. It's not in there that way. It's not true. Grace that saved you, why don't you worship grace? Well, you don't. We have to get it right. And they needed to get it right in Jerusalem, in their early church. We need to get it right in our life. Don't let these things drive us and and take us uh, a direction that we don't want to go. Well, unfortunately, we don't want to go there after we've been there. And uh, that's an issue. So those would be my comments. And uh, we'll pick up again in Galatians, because this is just the beginning of the discussion, but it, it goes on. But consider these things, and my point is here, don't give up on the truth. Learn the truth, know the truth. That's why we encourage Bible study every day of the week. Every day of the week, get together and do it. Grow from it. And then when you know that you know that you know, don't let anybody with the shiny one turn you away from it. Make them defend their position instead of you defending yours. You can read yours right out of the Bible. Where does their opinion come from? Yeah, a book of theology, but I'm not buying it. All right, those would be my comments today Chumba Casino. No purchase necessary. Full prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.